Welcome to Sonic Talk number 330. You may notice that you can see all my warts and facial irregularities now because I'm shooting in HD. This is our first attempt at a fully HD uh, version of Sonic Talk. Uh, I'm filming on a full HD camera that's going into the switcher. Uh, We've also got guests coming in on individual Skype machines. uh, So they all hopefully will have a much higher quality and everything should just be really great. There are bound to be a few gremlins, so please bear with us, but I hope the increasing quality will be ultimately worth it. So we're going to go straight to uh, our first guest, um, just because he's here, and we haven't seen him for a while, Mr. Rich Hilton from uh, Connecticut. Uh, so he's uh, Nile Rogers studio guy, as well as being in Chic. I think he's back from uh, a stint uh, playing live disco music across Europe. How are you, Rich? I'm recovering. I have a head cold, but I'm good. So you, uh, you, you just played the, um, what was it, the, the, the festival in... Um, uh, in Wales, am I right? Yeah, in Wales we played festival number six. Ah, in that's the one at Port Merion. Merion. Uh, excellent. Did the weather hold for you? No. Oh, but we were in a tent. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. Uh, but you've been having, we haven't seen you for a while. But so you've been globe trotting um, as as is usual. So how's it all been going? Oh, it's going great. It's going great. Uh, excellent. Perhaps- I'm very glad to hear it. Most notably, we played the iTunes Festival on Saturday, and that performance is available for free on iTunes. Oh, nice. And that was, uh, was that the Roundhouse in London? Yes, it was. Excellent. That sounds really cool. Um, anyway, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I will uh, bring uh, your video is looking fantastic. And the sound is working. This is all going very well. We'll next go to, uh, I, I, soon, obviously, as soon as I say that, it's not going to go well. So uh, we'll go to Mr. Mark Tinley next, who's there. Um, he's got a new love sign up. So he's, he's, in, he's not in the basement anymore. He's in the light. How are you, Mark Tinley? Sound, Hello, engine, yeah. sound, art, sound artist and uh, creative thinker and um, sausage eater. I'm in the Isle of Avalon, in fact, I discovered. Uh, you are indeed, aren't you? You're, so, um... I went to a sound therapy um, thing the other day, a sound healing workshop. It cost me, um, well, it was by donation, actually, so I won't say how much I paid. Um, but it was in the Avalon rooms, and this man walked around with solfeggio tuning forks, which were all tuned to very special frequencies, which were middle C and something just a bit below A and something else, and they all kind of clashed with each other in an interesting way. But that was quite fun, actually, so I I think I'm starting to like living here. So you're embracing the Glastonbury ways. That Mm. sounds good. And if you figure out what you need to do, well, maybe you don't, but uh, if you can find somewhere ultimately to live that's within the catchment area of the festival, you'll get free tickets. My friend lives um, in Pilton, I think. Ah. And he said you get offered free tickets. Uh, you get offered free tickets and then they offer you first refusal on buying them and you can buy 20 per household or something. Wow, so you could actually said, have a little what, cottage industry going there. Well, apparently most po- people in Pilton do that and it's actually sort of not frowned upon. They're encouraged to sort of, you know, buy tickets and bring people in and and obviously because the happier they are, the less likely they are to, to complain, I suppose. Oh, yeah, well, that sounds like an interesting, um, well, but come, come festival time, we'll, uh, we'll find out. 
Um, um, but but thank you for joining us, Mark. We'll now go to our third uh, remote guest, uh, Dave Spears, G4Software.com, who's hot-footed it back from, he said he was off buying stuff. Can you tell us what any of it is? Well, no, because I didn't <laughs> okay. buy it. I drove two hours to look at something to buy. And, do you know, sometimes when you get when you go to buy something that's, you know, reasonably expensive and you meet somebody who's just a total arse, ah. you just think, I don't know, none of this feels very comfortable. So I didn't. So I drove two hours back and just about made it back here. Ah, okay. So, uh, everybody hearing, um, I'm, is, is there some technical issue here? Is, um, are you hearing, you're not hearing Dave Rich? Is that, I can't that hear you. could be a good thing. It could be a bonus. Um, no, I was muted. Uh, yeah, I don't hear Dave, no. Uh, okay, let me see if I can fix that. See, this is the beauty of uh, our live debugging session. I, I mean, this is a music tech podcast, so effectively this is actually music technology. So I'm going to see if I can fix that now. So uh, Dave is coming in on this channel here. So auxiliary one. Talk now, Dave. I'll do some shape renditions in the hope that you There he is. Ah, well. uh, gotcha. That's hey, it. Dave, what it did is, you see what, what I wrote in the chat room? No. I said you'll be out of sync until you agree to support AAX. <laughs> What's AAX? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, boys. Uh, right. So, so what it is? Because what I have to do, obviously, with to just just to recapture, because we've got three separate machines. We've got each machine is coming in with its own audio feed. It also has to have an audio feed going out, which has to be a mix minus itself coming back. So I've got this mix minus mix minus matrix coming out of the uh, Yamaha desk. And I, that was, I just had a fader down because I think when we did a test with Dave uh, last week, there was an issue with um, the patching wrong. So the number, so, so, so now everything should be fine. So I, I guess got 20 minutes and we haven't actually covered anything yet. But I think um, hopefully, you know, you'll all see the benefit. It's like putting on a winter coat and taking it off. You'll feel the benefit in the end. So now let me see what our first topic is. Right. First, ah, now this was pretty cool. I know this is the, our next challenge uh, is to get this to play. Here it comes. This is uh, some very sexy footage of the new Avid S6. Or was it S3? S6 control surface. I must say, I don't think I've ever been quite so excited about a mixing desk. Well, that's not a mixing desk, of course. Mixing redefined. S6. Modular. You can see it. IBC uh, 2030, whatever it is. So now I'll stop that and I'll see if I can get to me. So, yeah, um, basically, this is the new Avid S6, which is a control surface. It's got lots of really beautiful features. I really like that waveform running down the meters. I'm sure I've seen that somewhere else. Um, but it's not cheap. It starts at 21K uh, US, and uh, there's a brilliant um, uh, piece of um, journalism by, uh, by Russ at Pro Tools Expert, which is uh, what, you, what else you could buy for the price of an Avid S6 console. Um, but maybe we should... Uh, I, I know, Rich, you are uh, a, a Pro Tools user. You work very much in the box. And, and does this sort of thing interest you? Because I, I, I think it's a Yukon well, protocol thing. When you get to the whole uh, what else you can buy with it, it makes me wonder how much it's going to cost. That much I don't know. Um, Start, starts at 21K, depending on wow. what modules you get in it. Yeah, it's an expensive piece of, piece of uh, hardware. 
Well, until you said that, I was really interested. Uh, <laughs> and, and I have to say it's been decades since a control surface interested me in terms of controlling a DAW. And I found them very frustrating to use, although the last series of them were a lot better than the ones that preceded it, say, like Pro Control. This thing looks fantastic in what I've seen in the promos. I haven't seen it in the flesh. I'm thinking I probably will at AES. Uh, but 21K is a pretty hefty starting point to get me to start thinking about redesigning my studio around something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's undoubted, but uh, that, that, that just some lovely looking features on it. I mean, lots of touchscreen, lots of acreage of sort of backlit, color-coded kind of stuff. I, I mean, don't care uh, about touchscreen one iota. I care about faders that I can grab. That's all I care about. I have no interest in mixing on a coffee table. <laughs> oh, and that, to I, me, uh, is what that slate thing is. It's just a huge-ass coffee table, expensive coffee table. And I'm not interested in mixing on one of those, but if I can actually grab a fader that's motorized, that interests me. Yeah, I mean, this does look, I mean, it does look like a beautiful thing. And I must admit, I haven't got, and it uses Yukon, because obviously uh, Avid now own uh, Euphonics, and so they use the Yukon. I mean, well, I have done for quite some time, actually. So the Yukon protocol is something that is quite widely adopted, got fairly low latency, and can handle a lot of data. Uh, Omnipulse in the chat room says, I would get a Schmidt instead. Um, you could get a couple, actually, <laughs> but that's something else. I don't know, Mark, is it something that you kind of, you, 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 I mean, you know, let's say you were in the market for a control surface. Does it does it get your juices flowing? No. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> it's made by Avid. Well, that aside. Um, still no. I don't, I don't know. I just... All of this landfill technology doesn't get my juices flowing. What, if I had 21 grand to spend on something and, I, and somebody said you need a control service, I'd probably go out and... I saw a bloody spirit desk go on eBay for 170 quid the other day. So I'd go and buy um, 10 of them. <laughs> yeah, of them. that's a lot, isn't it? It just seems... It, it just seems I, I, you know, my, my whole bugbear with this stuff is that there's a there's a... There's a a timeline on that 21 grand, okay? So if I go and buy an old Neve desk for whatever money, okay, in 10 years' time, if I maintain it well, it's going to still have some value. All this stuff, after about four to five years, ceases to be supported by the software, and the software manufacturers don't look after their hardware, and then the hardware becomes landfill. Or it becomes something you can only use with an ancient computer. And so, I mean, you know, all these audio interfaces that we've just seen, just, you know, we've gone 888s 10 years ago, 888s cost like four grand, and now they're not worth anything. And I think when you invest a lot of money in studio hardware, it has to last a long time if you're going to get any kind of return from it. Unless you're like, I mean, maybe this is pitched at Hollywood blockbuster movie makers who will chuck it out the back door and hopefully benefit somebody in you know in the valley by giving it away when it's the end of life to some <laughs> rock band that can make records with it because it's perfectly adequate but um it just well, seems I like you know we're just manufacturing all this stuff in china and then throwing it away it's not the right way to go it just isn't and i think i can i could concur with that i mean that is a, that is a, a certainly a, a very responsible way of looking at it and I, I don't know how what the build quality or anything like is i just thought wow that is a heck of a lot of stuff i know dave is it something that you uh, i mean cuz have you still got analog or you've gone in the box now cuz you did have a desk didn't you 
I mean, I know you've got lots of analog stuff, but I mean, uh, for mixing. Yeah, we've got line mixes. Uh, no, I'm pretty much in the box. Although I do really, really miss an analog desk. And in fact, I 100% concur with what Mark says. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and if I was to get a desk, it would be something like the Neve. Oh, in fact, on that, that SSL is what I'd really, really like. Oh, uh, what the uh, in the in the Russ's shot that that well, you could get a used knee VR forty eight flying mixing console twenty five grand. I mean that would that would be equivalent to a fully stacked S three, or the SSL four i four o G thirty five grand, or AWS AWS has uh, AWS. To be that's that's really the one that I I've used one of those and thought it was completely awesome. Mm, I do look and nice. And I think that's what I'd go for, although, yes. Or, I mean, of course, a, a 1998 Ferrari 348 TS for 30,000 quid, which uh, may uh, may give you more pleasure, but probably cost a lot more to run, uh, ultimately. I don't know about that. <coughs> maintenance cost on a mixing desk is fairly high, so... Well, hopefully not on one Ferrari. of these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, for, uh, and on a Ferrari too. But, uh, the insurance uh, would be cheaper on the Ferrari. You'd get classic car insurance on it for about 100 quid, right? Uh, well, I hope so. <laughs> oh, incidentally, if talking to Ferraris, I saw a brilliant film. Uh, I don't know if you get the chance to see it. It's called Rush, and it's about the story, uh, the kind of rivalry between Nicky Lauda and James Hunt uh, um, in 1976, and it surrounds the whole kind of safety issue. It's a really good film, and uh, Nicky Lauder ended up driving for Ferrari. That's the only link I can think of that's got anything when to do with what I was talking about. Racing drivers were real men. What yeah, was it? Well, when sex was safe and racing driving was dangerous. Well, they said, I mean, this is was, this was the thing. It was like, you know, basically two drivers a year died in the 70s, and there were only 25 top echelon drivers. So you had a 20% chance of death if you, if you completed a season. And so they were all living right on the edge of life, you know, and I, I'd imagine that's a very different uh, thing, um, you know, not, not having been done that myself. But, yeah, pretty... Uh, they, should, they should try making plugins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Still, uh, if you want to buy one, uh, they should be available sometime soon, and you can get them in all sorts of flavours and uh, things. And um, yeah, there's there's a bit more of it here. Uh, a few more shots. So what would you have, Nick? What do you mean? What would you have? One As of a... those, or one of those other things on that other page? Oh, that's tricky. Let me have a look. Uh, I'm going to have to have a look now. What else you can buy? Um, hmm. I think, to be honest, I would probably go for um, the AWS because it's more modern and would require less. Oh my God, that's forty grand! Jesus, mm. you can get you can get cheaper ones than that. I think, uh, and more expensive, and more expensive ones. I'd probably go for the AWS smaller one. I don't really need it. I don't really need any of that stuff, to be honest. I really don't. So I'm not sure I would. Uh, I'd take the money. <laughs> I mean, the yeah, question you've got to ask I'd have the cash, cash equivalent, please. <laughs> for, tra- for tracking, you want some beautiful old analog desk to get and really, you know, with a lovely kind of sound to it to get to capture yeah. part of that sound. So for tracking, I can understand why you would need to have lots of faders because you've got a different channel for each thing coming in. But for, for mixing and stuff, it's like... I don't know. Well, you know what? You, you just need the electronics and a couple of sets of controls, really, and that's kind of what the computer does, isn't it? It just break, basically breaks it right down to it just being a mouse controlling everything. 
and somewhere between it just being a mouse controlling everything and like the full mixing desk is is where I would go. I would have like maybe four or eight channels of something that I could control things with, but that would control all yeah. sixty of my tracks. Well, yeah, because you could do the banking in. That makes perfect sense. I mean, and you know, that's that's something that would be, uh, yeah, desirable. But I guess that level of technology into four channels is probably you get, it's a diminishing return. You're still going to cost you a fortune just for all the power supplies and the the uh, logic design and what have you. So it'll end up being disproportionately expensive. Probably gets cheaper the more channels you have. You know, it, in terms oh, of. That. But yeah, um, okay. Uh, well, I'll do an ad now because because um, it's about time, and I, I'm 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 looking forward to the challenge of trying to figure out how to run the ad here. So, of course, we know that. Uh, well, you may not know, but Isotope are sponsors of the show, and uh, I would like to say welcome. You may or may not have heard RX was released just recently, in fact, and uh, last week, and we had a little uh, video with Matt Hines showing a lot of the fun- features and functions available in its uh, pro uh, version, the, the kind of standalone pro suite, and uh, also a suite of plugins. Uh, big takeaway things: you've obviously got uh, de-reverb- de-reverberator. Well, it's called de-reverb technology, which we've talked about, which takes the ambience away and can also uh, it. Include, increase the ambience, should you so wish, how you can with all of the processes. Uh, new dialogue denoiser, which gives you uh, the ability to run very, very uh, DSP efficient, multiple tracks of dialogue denoiser. We've got uh, unlimited undo history, plus we've also got a new tabbed interface, which does actually increase workflow and lots and lots of other ways. You can also save isotope documents, which means you can keep your undo history. Uh, it's available now, and uh, we can thoroughly recommend that you check it out, because all you have to do is go to isotope.com forward slash rx, which I'm guessing will take you to the current 10-day uh, unlimited demo and all the information about the page. Once again, we do thank Isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show. And we are running a competition, actually, this week, which is a very basic one. Uh, I must admit, um, with what with all the things going on with the technology, I've had been a bit bereft of ideas for competitions. Um, but uh, we thought we'd tie this in with a, perhaps uh, what's your favourite kind of question. So if you... Basically, you tell us what your favourite Sonic Talk segment episode was or is in the comments below either on youtube or uh in the comments on the sonic state website and the one we like the best uh together with the isotope fairy who uh has a has a hand in every choice we make when it comes to isotope uh will win a full working copy of rx3 you can't say fairer than that so just let us know what your favorite sonic talk section is or segment obviously we might use it to put together a clip show or something for the future which would kind of be fun um just if you can tell us kind of the episode and what it was about that would be really helpful if you've got a time code point as well even better but i understand um if that's a bit too much you might have to do this from memory but once again we thank isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show right so next up um wireless midi do we want to do that or should we talk um perhaps should we talk a bit more synthesis because we're, we're running a bit more a bit a bit of time um yeah mook discontinued the little fatty did you see that? That's quite interesting because um, that was actually uh, something that was, um, you know, it's only been out since, what, since 2006? I was surprised, actually. Uh, it was introduced then, and it proved that they could kind of still make classic synth, or that was the idea. But the, I think the thing about this is is it was so robust. You start to see it everywhere on, on stage. I still do. I'm noticing it more and more and more, uh, together with subs now, which perhaps is what's uh, taken over. But I just wondered uh, a couple of questions, really. You know, what does it take for an instrument, an electronic instrument like that, to become classic? I mean, is there, are there a criteria, or, you know, is it something that's very personal? Because it, they do 
tend to kind of you get this momentum then you get this kind of almost a false memory to a degree and people remember it fondly without ever having owned one now i know rich you have owned uh, or do own a moog and you i don't know whether you've got any of the other uh, moog stuff uh, many of the, any of the more modern stuff or whether you think that, that this is likely to also end up in the annals of history as it were or what does it take you can answer any of those questions in any order <laughs> well given the romance surrounding pieces of gear from long ago that i never had any interest in and still don't i would say that yes it is likely to garner some sort of legendary status and that's not to say i didn't have any interest in it it's just i didn't think it was all that groundbreaking um and they continue to market various fatty versions one of the world's worst named products in the history <laughs> of the synthesizer business um like the rack mount one and the sub fatty as you pointed out so sub fatty is a good synthesizer actually i must say it's definitely I'm, got i've heard it's wonderful and i'll bet and the rack mount's probably really good too and this thing was probably really good but it that none of that matters because absolute garbage from the late 70s that I wouldn't have anything to do with back then is now revered as the Holy Grail. So I assume that the same degree of romance will apply to anything with the Moog name on it. <laughs> Very well said, sir. Um, Dave Spears, um, you've got some Moog stuff. I don't know if you've got any of the more modern stuff. I mean, uh, it may be that you don't need it because you've got so much of this uh, proper analog stuff. So uh, what do you think? You you probably see it quite. I mean, I've seen it quite a lot on uh, on stage, and you probably see a lot more of it than I do because you're more involved in live stuff than I am. I think it's funny when you're saying about will it, you know. Well, I think that shape stands a chance of becoming reasonably iconic in several years' time. But I think what was it you said about you know once the rose tinted specs kind of once they start to get put on, I think that's when people start to really revere things. It's got to sound great, which we know it does. It's got to be ergonomically uh, properly designed, which I believe it is. And it's got to look distinctive. And I think if you've got all those three, three things together, then something stands a chance of becoming uh, a bit of an icon. It is very striking looking. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but no, I'm you know, more interested in old fart things. And also quirky things, you know, very, I like the reason, one of the reasons why we really love the, the kind of early days is that there was a lot of experimenting went on. No one knew which way anything was going to land, you know, particularly when it comes to patch preset management and stuff like that. And uh, workflow in particular, I mean, obviously the mini mode defined everything that came thereafter, but there were all those kind of experimental things, you know, with the pro soloist and the Moog thing I've got over there is, oh, I've forgotten what it's called. Oh, a minute Moog. Sorry, it's ah. not my full patch there. A minute Moog, which is essentially a kind of pro satellite, two oscillators with sync. But it's got a very distinctive kind of quirky sound. Uh, and the thing about that is that um, they were built on a shoestring budget, so really not many of them lasted. So, again, that's become sort of reasonably iconic because of its kind of scarcity value and stuff like that. So, yeah. But I've heard sort of rumours from repair people who have said that things like Slim Fat is seem to be coming back, uh, seem to be going back to the workshop for repair, and also Voyagers as well. So I think, you know, if you've got a situation where something starts to become problematical after a few years, then that can completely kind of kill the rose-tinted spec aspect. Just because there, yeah, there aren't that many of them. Uh, um, uh, a second uh, um, 
La Grande Audio, winner of the last uh, Isotope contest, um, said uh, second worst synth name is the King Korg, which I have to concur just purely because of the northern gentleman uh, aspect of it. Uh, if you think apostrophe just before the K of the King, then you're kind of along the right lines. I know, Mark Tinley, classics for you, do you think? I'm going to approach my answer to this from two entirely different directions. The first direction is the moving direction. I've just moved house. And I had this rack of stuff in my old house. And I've just bought this cable here to plug this rack of stuff in. And I've sort of whittled it down to a few rack mount units. And um, I eventually got around to setting my computer up yesterday. And I actually had this realisation that I never use any of the rack mount stuff. And that, that everything happens in the computer and that's it. I don't need any of these things. They're all kind of uh, nostalgic things that I've bought, like, the Powertrans sampler and the Yamaha R1000 reverb and the Ibano reverb and all those things. They're just completely nostalgic and they never get switched on. So I'm sort of thinking, well, part of the iconic um, kind of pull for these things is that you think it's going to do something that it's not going to do. And ah. we kind of put them in our studios because we think, oh, I'll get around to making that. And it has to be... I think it has to be like somebody's used that piece of equipment to make a signature sound or it's appeared somewhere where it looks a signature kind of way. So the other way I was going to approach the question was from the angle of the rally chopper. When I was a teenager, my brother had a rally chopper bicycle. I don't know if they have them in, in America, but it's this most horrendous thing with a 20-inch back wheel and a 14-inch front wheel, and it's supposed to signify sort of, you know, chopperness like as in motorcycle choppers but it's very very heavy and almost impossible to ride and everybody my age about 10 or 15 years ago went out and bought them they reissued them didn't to the they? point where they reissued it and the reissue was nearly as rubbish as the original one but we get these iconic things fixated in our minds like they do something that they don't do and it's it's the concept of it if the concept of it carries then it can then it becomes something that everybody suddenly wants and then maybe they don't after another 15 years but you know so will it become iconic i think it's down to how people see it not how it sounds sadly yeah so it's more it's yeah it's more of a visual thing that's an interesting point actually i think that's uh, also and, it's and, been doing the rounds of a lot of festivals isn't it i mean you you see that you've seen it on Glastonbury stages and whatnot, and actually yeah. it probably boils down to how successful the band's going to be over the next, or the yeah. bands that have used it are going to be over the next few years, as to whether, oh, I want that sound that that band has, you know, that I love. Yeah, it's interesting, because a lot of people, um, you know, put tape over their stuff so that it doesn't get, you know, get noticed and i don't i, I wonder what is that is that just down because because they couldn't sell any uh any they they weren't they wouldn't get any um any gear rights you know or any any endorsement deal so you just tape everything up so that it right was, if no one if no one's gonna have it then up then nobody's gonna see i had an absolutely brilliant occasion where i was employed by an italian company to make sure that a particular piano appeared as many times on tv as possible so it was a case of 
giving them to as many people who were appearing on TV as possible and then going to places to try and make sure that nobody put tape on it. And there was this kind of, there were a couple of occasions where it was really funny because the kind of TV people, the bit, particularly the BBC, would kind of come up and go, oh, no endorsing, uh, we'll put just put a little bit of gaffer over that. And, of course, then they'd walk off and I'd go and remove the gaffer. And they'd come back and kind of go, oh, somebody's removed the gaffer. And then they'd put another piece on. And then just before the juice would go live, I'd go straight on and whip it off. It was really <laughs> terrible, really terrible. But we got it on Glastonbury. We got it on Top of the Pops. It was really funny. They were absolutely desperate to have this piano appear on TV as many times as possible. I had to video, I had to kind of stay at home or get somebody at home to videotape every single time it was shown and then I could kind of go to them and go, oh, look, you know, it's like 20 times this week or this month. Did you get paid by, did you get paid, did you get appearance fees for the pianos? That was the way it worked. No, it didn't. I was kind of just paid a small amount as a kind of flat fee, but, and I did really love this piano, which is, which is kind of interesting, but, um, it was just the challenge of it. I really, really liked that challenge. It was just, right, right, let's see how many times we can get this on telly. Awesome. That sounds think, like that's a great... A I great... think what you needed was some um, some stencils or stickers with the brand name, which you could have put on everything, on all the keyboards, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Just uh, like you used to get little... Do you remember there used to be deals back in the sort of... Uh, oh, it must have been late 70s, early 80s, where you could go and get a load... you just go and buy a load of stickers and get them done. They'd be delivered and you'd just stick them on lampposts everywhere. We had one. So people would just get familiar with the band name. So when they saw a poster, they go, oh, yeah, I know that from somewhere. I think I'll go and see them, even though all you actually done was got two quid together to buy a roll of stickers and leave them everywhere to... Everybody's great. Anoint... An- <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Right. Next one. Um, did, did this wireless MIDI thing interest anybody? I yeah. Well, uh, sort of. Possibly. Sort of. Should, should we do of the it? Price more than anything else. Not All at right. that price point. Yeah. Let's have a look then. Let's see. Uh, let's see if I can play this one. Right. Here we are. I have a. You've got one of these. This, this is how to make a promo. One of these. It's f- and you'd like to connect them to take advantage of some great music-making apps out there. Well, There'll be some mandolin this. in a minute. Or maybe you'll need this. Oh, then again, you always want one of these. And if it's across the room, you'll need this. Oh, let's not forget, we might need one of these. Or an extra one of those is always helpful. Now your mobile device isn't mobile anymore. I thought the future was supposed to be wireless. Well, now it is. Say hello to the puck. It's the wireless connection between your MIDI gear and your iOS devices. Use the puck to connect your keyboard to your iPhone. Now, that guy is a great salesman, I have to say. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I do need this. I do. I actually, I'm not sure if I do, but it's it's an interesting concept. And, and one, frankly, I'm surprised that hasn't been, because MIDI, uh, Midiman or M-Audio did, did uh, something uh, approaching it, and you can do it between, you know, uh, using RTP MIDI, but this just seems like such a good idea, especially when you consider that, you know, you might be running devices on your iOS device or whatever. I know, Dave, be nice, yeah. wouldn't it? No, I wonder what the latency's like. As long as it's acceptable, I, I can't see. I mean, the, the price alone is amazing. I, the, the, the last time I looked at wireless MIDI was when Kenton did something. They announced something. That All was right, a long time okay. ago. That was that was a good few years ago, and it was expensive. And I kind of just sort of filtered it out of my psyche. I think that's probably due to the uh, the frequencies that were available because we've had a similar thing, you know, with uh, radio frequency. They've sold off all the radio frequencies. But now the 2.4 megahertz broad, you know, bandwidth, which is where Bluetooth and Wi-Fi is, 
people are having little bits of that. So it's starting to kind of be, you know, it's much easier to make something that will work globally. So the, the fee goes uh, down. Okay. I thought it was done like with rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> Them too. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, yeah, no, interesting. Great price, great price. And yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a Kickstarter thing, isn't it? So uh, if I can find the, uh, the, the thing there, yeah. Uh, they're trying to raise 50 grand, got 12.5K uh, or nearly 13K, 22 days left. Uh, 79 bucks you could get it for, uh, which is your tastemaker special, but it's going to be 129 ultimately, I believe. Uh, or you get two for to 149. That, that, that sounds pretty impressive. It's a good name as well. The Puck. And it looks yeah. like one. Yeah. yeah. And a good logo as well. I know, Rich, would you trust the wireless? Do you I'd need a wire? Have you tried, tried I mean, have you tried wireless over, um, over the network anyway? Because, I mean, it's something that Macs do just without... I mean, the, the network here is, is dealing with it. In fact, the switching that I'm doing now is going over wireless MIDI. The iPad here is connected to a Wi-Fi MIDI that's going to the machine that's handling the switcher. So, I mean, I use it regularly for, for that kind of stuff. About a year ago, I was looking for a wireless MIDI solution, and nobody suggested that to me. Um, you know, that the Mac would do it on its own. I, I had no idea. Uh, and went to great lengths to run cables over ridiculous distances instead. Um, so it interests me as a topic in general to be able to run MIDI wirelessly. I don't see why there should be tremendous latency given the speed of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Um, so in principle, yeah. Do hmm. I want to finance it? No. But if they uh, release a product, I would be willing to buy it. Well, uh, there's dissent in the chat room. Um, uh- as your head said, he'd rather choke himself with cables than pay that money. Uh, and also, there's more radio pollution. Um, that's a, a thing. You know, I suppose that's something to, that's to bear in mind, uh, which we haven't really um, figured out whether that's good or bad for us just yet. But, yeah. Um, Mark, oh, you've gone all small again. Have I? Yes, I can fix that, though. Keep talking. <laughs> Expand me, sir. <laughs> um, I looked at it and I thought... Good heavens, that's very expensive for something that already happens, uh, for something that's already available. And I didn't really see it as a wireless MIDI solution. It's a Wi-Fi MIDI solution. So although it's sort of solving the wireless MIDI problem, in another way it's only solving the wireless MIDI problem with plugging a MIDI keyboard directly into your iPad, right? And you're still going to have to use a MIDI cable to plug into this thing. So I'm sort of thinking at that price point, given that it's just like a chunk of their thing that they went, oh, actually, if we just like snip that off there and connect the MIDI directly to that, that's another unit. It's not, they haven't really developed it, have they? I mean, maybe they've, somebody's designed the nice plastic case or something. I think it's overpriced. I think it's horribly overpriced. I can go on eBay and I can buy a class-compliant MIDI interface which I can plug into my Mac or my PC for £3.99, which is about $5. And it'll have wireless capability. And then I can use the wireless in my Mac if I want to. And yes, I know I end up with a cable going into my Mac so that I can talk to my iPad, but it's, it's, you know, I'm going to end up with a cable coming out my keyboard and going into that round thing as well. So I'm sort of all for using all the things that I've already got and then making the most of those rather than going and buying more things. That's a good point. I don't know whether it's in or out. I might buy it, but not at 129. It's just way too expensive for what it does. Hmm. 
I don't know whether that's an in or an out or either or interchangeable or whether it's got more than one MIDI because that would make sense. If it had MIDI in and out, that would uh, make sense. I wonder if I can find out anything. Uh, it looks like it's just an output, doesn't it? Or, or an input. Correct mm. uh, a MIDI device. It can also work with, a MIDI, with, with any platform that supports a MIDI connection over Wi-Fi, <laughs> which is basically a Mac or a PC already. So, I mean, because you can download this little... Uh, um, it's built into the Mac OS, but on a PC, you download this thing called RTP MIDI. And it's just a free utility that gives you access to a wireless network. You can join sessions in the same way, and you can do the same thing with your iPad. So, I mean, yeah, I think you've got a point there, Mark. So, yeah, maybe a bit of uh, Emperor's New Clothes and Smoke and Mirrors going on there, perhaps. Different colours, different colour parts. the point is most people don't know how to do it, do they? Yeah, well, that's true. So it's sort of a hidden in the, it's hidden in the audio MIDI um, application, isn't it? And you have to go in and and basically yeah. make a connection between your two devices, and and it's not really documented anywhere because we don't have manuals that we sit in the bath and read through anymore. So it's I I happened upon it completely by accident and went oh that's clever and connected it up and tried it out. Um, uh, yeah, and it's worth mentioning the good thing about that is also that um, I'll see if I can load it. The good the good thing is also if I go here and we go to MIDI uh, is that it remembers. So if I now go to view. Uh, window. It's, I want to look at MIDI window. This is a bit of live stuff here. Uh, we go to, uh, where's my MIDI window? MIDI window's up here. So yeah, you go up here, you click on network, double click, and then I'll bring this up. And then, right, so that's my switcher network, which I could connect, and I can connect to it if I want on the, and it gives me an idea of latency. I can create any number of sessions up here, which will each have a different name, and they will also all appear as available sessions uh, to other devices and other computers. So I could connect to my control session or my MIDI session or my session three session, depending. And it remembers, if you add computers, so you'd add a computer by saying, you know, giving it a name, giving it an IP address and the port, which is 5004, then you just end up with a, a list of them in your directory. And it's, uh, it's all, jobs are good, actually. It's, so, Rich, if you get the opportunity to try that out, it's, I don't know what the latency is like for real-time kind of like player note as a drummer, but if it's just basic kind of maybe program How change... How does it recognize the external device if the device isn't connected? I don't understand. Uh, if I have a keyboard at that end of the room that's not physically connected to the Mac, and I create this whole scenario you've just described in the Macintosh, how does it know that keyboard's there? It, uh, it, it looks for other Macs, and it looks for other iPads and things on the network. So if you load oh, a MIDI device like on your iPad, I have if you an load a MIDI device on your iPad and you're connected to Wi-Fi, it'll just show up. It'll lose a go. Hello, there's a MIDI thing over here. Ah, you mean how do you get the MIDI into it? I have an M Audio keyboard at one end of my room, and I have a Mac at the other end of my room, and I want them connected via MIDI. Ah, and well, you, you physically connect the keyboard. How does the Mac know it exists? Um, and how does the M Audio know anything? It doesn't. You'd have to have. You'd have to plug it into an iPad or an iPod or another Mac. They would have the the, the M Audio keyboard would have to be plugged into something. That would uh, that would that, that is connected to the network, and then if it had RTP MIDI, then that. So if you had your so if you had your laptop, uh, a laptop over the other side of the room with the M Audio connected into it, and you have your desktop over here somewhere, 
and you wanted to connect that keyboard, the, the MIDI that was coming out of that M Audio keyboard to the desktop over there, you could do it that way by via the Wi-Fi. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, yeah, I understand yeah. that. Okay. You could use a puck. So, so this puck device then would theoretically <laughs> hang off the back of that said M Audio. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, yeah. And it pretends to be a, to your it Mac pretends wireless. to be an iPad. It pretends to be an iPad or an iPod or a Mac. I mean, it just uses the same protocol. Right, understood. Okay, thank you. There we go. Um, so, yeah, it looks like it could be fun, but it does actually, you're, you're right, I think, Mark, perhaps it's, it's, it's a triumph of marketing <laughs> there. And I hope that, but I hope it works out because it might well lead to some other really neat uh, things that we haven't seen yet. Um, what's the time? Uh, yeah, we've got time for this one as well. Now, I've got a video here that I can play. Um, let me see. This is the news that Analog Solutions uh, have acquired a new analog synth, which is the Telemark V2 Semi-Modular. Can I make that any bigger? Oh, yeah, I can. Look, I can make it really big. I like the look of that. It's apparently based on the SEM kind of voice architecture. I, I'm not sure that the demo gives it everything it would, but it looks, it's just great to have such a, a large format thing. I like that. I don't know, but that looks like it's, uh, is that mini jacks or is that uh, quarter inch jacks? I can't tell. Dave, do you know anything about this? Have you come across the uh, Analog Solutions telemark before? Uh, I... I'm ashamed to say I've, I've seen pictures of it, but I haven't really delved into... You own you own the real thing, don't you? Yeah, and yes, yes. Sorry, I was going to say that if it's based on the SEM, then I would probably opt for the Oberheim, the new Oberheim SEM with the CV stuff on it. Ah, okay. And I just like... And stuff like that, but I do like this. I mean, it's like you were saying in the show notes, you know, the large format stuff is... Uh, it's easy to read. What's oh, I'm getting into that. I'm really getting into the idea of this. I like the idea. I, I've never really got got had much time to, or any time to play with a sem, but I hear that they're good. I know, Rich, you're you kind of probably. Uh, it, it's more of an American thing, Oppenheim, just because they were more available during you know back in the day, and that's perhaps something that you know more of. Have you got any Oppenheim stuff yourself? I couldn't recall. No, I don't. That, uh, love it though. Love the stuff, and the original SCM I thought was magnificent. I think this thing is. I, I found it on. Uh, yeah, I found it on uh, Toman. This is the keyboard version, and it's fifteen hundred euros. So I don't know what that's going to be in dollars. Um, probably near a couple of grand, I'm sure, because it's a European thing. I don't know if that's the case or not. But I, well, I really like that. But I also really like the uh, the other massive thing, which is just. I just think this is absolutely brilliant. This um, the Ken Macbeth M5. This just really does it for me. And this is, uh, oh, I should, the opening credits, actually. This is by a chap called Velvet Voyage, or um, Bruno Ender Lee, and he's just did a create. That's just so ostentatious. What I like about all of this stuff is the idea of having something so stupidly massive. And I think you probably felt the same way, Dave, because you analog solution. Is it? Is your analog systems analog? I think I always get them. No, computer. no, no. Um, dot com. <laughs> Your dot com, yeah. Ah, uh, hold on. Let me just bring that. Look at that. That is a beautiful. That is a thing of great beauty, right there. And then, and then I've got twenty six hundred there, and then we've got the SDS five, SDS seven up the top there, and oh. then we go along for the mad stuff. But um, yeah, 
There is something, although what's really funny is, so uh, this part of this, this area was kind of built and there were a lot of workmen coming in. And so it got to the point where I was kind of I was so desperate to move in and kind of get things set up how I thought I wanted them at the time. So I was uh, <laughs> setting stuff up and people would kind of come in and just they look at it and just go, if you don't know anything about anything to do with music tech, you can't or synthesis, you just kind of look at it and they were just sort of going, oh, yes, yeah, like one is that a telephone thing, you know, like, uh, like for patching telephone people together and that. And if that happened once, that's happened for like, I don't know, that's about 20 times that's happened to me. People, they are so, if you're not into the industry, people are so unimpressed with its look because it, as far as they're concerned, it looks like complete old tech. I had a guy who was uh, doing some woodworking stuff. All he, all he had to do was put uh, like the top of a, what they like, finials on the top of a um, staircase bit. Mule, mule so post. literally, mule post, thank you. He just had to cut a little segment out so it would fit on the corner. But being a kind of, you know, typical British lunatic idiot worker, he that entailed bringing in an air compressor, a skill saw, setting everything up. So really what would have he been He was like doing what you're doing. <laughs> two minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was just showing off, really. But, you know, it would have been two minutes anyway. So he makes all of this dust that's flying through the door. And I'm trying to explain, look, you know, this, this, a lot of this stuff is very fragile. It's very old. We do spend a lot of money keeping it up together and... I could do without the sawdust going all over it. So he kind of looks at me like I'm a complete idiot, which is a fair point. And then he walks in, looks at the modular and kind of makes the usual telephone exchange comment and then proceeds to sort of pat himself down where all the sawdust just goes over absolutely everything. And I think it was at that moment that I killed him. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hell of an admission there, Dave. I don't know if they'll be looking under your patio. Oh. They're more than welcome. The boots are there as a trophy on top. Um, ah. No, but it is funny. <laughs> I just find it really funny because, you know, if you talk to some people, they, they go, oh, yeah, you know, it looks like you're showing off. But then you talk to other people and they just go, I don't get it. What is it? You know. Mm. Uh, incidentally, um, I Dream of Wires is now uh, the big edition the, well, the hardcore edition is up for order again so obviously they've got a few more and it's something mean, i recommend i did watch the second half second half's not quite as thrilling as the first half perhaps but that's because it's not been as finely honed perhaps but uh, well worth a, view, a, a watch if you're into modular stuff but can i just say ah, hold on wait a minute i see that there we go rich hilton has hey. his copy there have you watched it yet no oh, yours came in a blue case mine didn't Mm. I bought the Blu-ray version. Ah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Sorry, Mark, were you just about to come in there, or did I miss here? No, I just went, ah, because Rich bought the Blu-ray version. Oh, uh, okay. Which is, hence, is why it's blue. So my switching's getting a bit confused. I've got to fix this, because I have to look over there to see what it is that's currently going out and program out. I need something that's here, so it's in my eye line. That's one thing. So uh, I think overall, though, it's been reasonably good success. I mean, the, the video quality is awesome. I mean, look at the look at these guys. They just look absolutely pristine high fidelity, and it's full yeah. 1080 coming in there. And, of course, me as well. And it's much nicer that I because I always have to spend such a long time doing colour balance on my crappy USB um, 
webcam. So this might be the future, quite possibly. I need, I need a new makeup artist if we're going to start doing stuff in HD. Well, the thing is, is I'm only blowing up your screen to a large enough size. So, but how's that worked your end? Has it been okay? Still coming back? Has the audio brilliant. been all right and everything? <laughs> yeah, really brilliant. Cool. Ah, oh, Mark. Mark's there with. Ah, oh, my switching seems to. Have, yeah, look at that. He's got a Glastonbury uh, mushroom hat. I'm an what acorn, isn't it? An acorn. An acorn. Uh, I'm going to go and get some cider later on. Nice. <laughs> and some cheese, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Those things go together very well. Um, I, I'm guessing we could uh, we could cover. Oh yes, this I wanted to finish on this because this is just astonishing, really. This uh, and this was the um, the uh, you know we, we always kind of think modulars and stuff are kind of incredibly complex. And this was the startup sequence for a, a Boeing seven three seven, which I just thought was absolutely amazing this is uh, just generally posted and it's just it's not it's a sort of uh, from a number of flights so i'll just play i'll play a little bit and you just think okay let's uh, well let's let's just take let's just take a look it makes you realize how uncomplicated a recording studio might be i want to know what that does that looks great It just this just goes on for three or f- a couple of minutes, so it does obviously take quite a while just to get it going. But I I thoroughly enjoyed that, and it's only in there for the reason that I would like to see a synthesizer made out of equipment like that because it just looks it, lo- it reminds me of that old RCA modular stuff um, that was in the beginning of I Dream of Wires. But I'm sure some of those things can be adapted. But, I mean, that is incredibly... I mean, you look at the wear and tear on those buttons there. There's a sort of... That's been well, well used. Like someone's been bashing the, uh, the bashing the return button repeatedly with a sharp finger there. Like, Get on with it! So they obviously have the same frustrations that we do. If you hit the enter button enough times, it'll, it goes faster, does it not? That's what I always thought. <laughs> Goes faster and just works better. But great. Wouldn't that be great to have a synth made out of hardware like that? That would just be awesome. That is actually a really, really, really good idea. I wonder if it's possible. My childhood was spent going around... uh, My dad's completely fanatical about flying. And uh, my childhood was largely spent, A, going around disused World War II aerodromes, which was riveting as a kid, I have to say. Um, In fact, at one point, we were going to move into a control tower on a disused World War II airfield. That was going to be our house. In wow. Cornwall. But it was also spent going to all of the Ministry of Defence um, auctions where they sold off things like meteors, cameras, lightnings. So I've been in hundreds of these things. Which at the time I didn't really appreciate. I was like, can we go home now because like Star Trek's on or something. Like <laughs> but now I kind of look back and go, that's just, it was, it was quite something. Ah, uh, awesome. Awesome. With, Rich. Um, oh, sorry, Mark, go. Go, Mark. I've switched to you anyway. Wait. <laughs> no, it's all right. I've switched to you anyway. Okay. It's your time. I was thinking um, uh, you get this steampunk thing, don't you? And there's all sorts of things turning up in the steampunk style where people stick bits of brass and leather on things and bits of nice wood. And then um, so you get like steampunk radios. And I saw some steampunk tarot cards earlier on. But <laughs> this would be like the next generation on from it, wouldn't it? So it, we yeah. need to coin a name that goes with this, like something aeronautical, but something that uh, represents the fact that we're, you know, you were taking these things and making art from it or functional art. 
So someone That's needs to some, good idea. Something with the word cock or pit in it, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I like the word cock. <laughs> Rich, I, uh, lots of Americans actually learn to fly, uh, as far as I understand. I mean, particularly perhaps if you live in the, uh, you know, in, in more of the central parts around. A couple of friends of mine, I discovered, she, oh, yeah, she said, oh, yeah, no, I'm a qualified pilot. I learned to fly when I was a kid because it was just accessible. Did you get exposed to that kind of stuff? Was it around? Oh, very much so, because the town in which I grew up was the home of Grumman Aircraft, who uh, became... Oh later best known for the design of the lunar uh, excursion module that was used in the moon landings. And many of my friends' uh, fathers worked there. It was at one time the single largest employer on Long Island. And uh, there was always air traffic going on around us on Long Island, added to the fact that there are two major city airports who receive flights uh, from the east that basically come in over Long Island. So I was around quite a bit of aviation, but I received zero training in it. Ah, well, it's something that I, 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 I once met a guy again who just decided he wanted to learn to fly, and he did. And he just he he took some people up with him, and they just you know, fly along. Go, let's go over there. And it's just the, the the notion that you can have this freedom and kind of just fly where you want. And again, there's a guy in Bath who used to own a local nightclub who flies a microlight, and he just flies regularly, flies to places, and it's. It, but I think it's a bit more terrifying in a microlight because you're much more exposed. I know Andy's been up in it, and he said it was pretty frightening. <laughs> yeah, I went up mm-hmm. in one of those. Oh, sorry, you're still on bridge. No, go. No, go, I'm go. The interrupting again. No, no, I, went I up just in a, a microlight for my fiftieth birthday present. I think it's my fiftieth birthday present, but um, or forty ninth. Uh, one of my friends, this guy who owns uh, forty three acres of farmland in. Bedfordshire, who runs a boot sale there, has gotten into this thing called paragliding. Oh, Powered yeah. paragliding. And you hang, you basically have like what's like a paraglide wing, but you hang a Rotax two stroke engine off your back. And then I've you don't that. need to, to jump off anything high to get into the air. You just take off anywhere and you can go anywhere. And it's absolutely, totally mental. You can. I mean, as long as you don't go into Ministry of Defence airspace where you get shot down, you're allowed to go to all sorts of places. You just like, you can just go and stand in a field and take off, and off you wow. go. As long as you haven't got a ponytail, because that would, <laughs> that, that would cause you a lot of difficulty, wouldn't it? <laughs> ah, well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, flying. It's very expensive these days. I think I think they uh, they've they've clamped down a lot. But uh, um, yeah, it's not very audio. But I thought a nice way to end. Uh, what is this landmark HD uh, version? And I think it's a goer. I think it's actually going to work. I think we might stick with this. The only thing I need to figure out is how to get more participants. Because as I said uh, pre-show, I don't want. Um, the limitation of the fact that we only got three live people to kind of make people feel like they shouldn't come on because that's the because then I end up with nobody. But I'm glad we all made it. That's for sure. So uh, all I can say is thank you very much. And I think this is going to work. I'm, I'm be very interested to see how it shows up on the YouTube because I think it will probably have a, a much better quality. And we can up the production values and uh, hopefully get some more sponsors to pay for all this stuff. That'd be marvellous. But I want to say thank you for everybody for joining us. And of course, don't forget um, the show has been sponsored by Isotope. Uh, remember to enter the competition. Leave your comments below. Just let us know your favourite clip or segment of uh, any Sonic Talk podcast. If you can give us the episode and the rough time if not just just figure it out um just just roughly and then uh, the winner will win a um a full copy of rx as as bestowed by the isotope fairy who i can say his name is kim 
Anyway, um, thanks ever so much for joining us. Dave Spears, thanks for getting back. I'm, I didn't expect to see you, but I'm glad you did make it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I've just got to say, RX3, and I'm not paid to do any of this promotion, but RX... It's funny, isn't it? Because there are very few bits of software that every time I fire them up, I go, wow, when it cures and something that I'm working on or an issue that I'm dealing with. RX3 is just unbelievable. Excellent. Well, you can't say fairer than that. Um, thank you very much, Dave. And Mark Tinley over there, uh, hatless now, or maybe searching for a new hat. Now, Mark Tinley over there in Glastonbury. I in- fully intend to... Oh, there we go. A new hat. I've got a hat like that as well. I might put that on. It's <laughs> quite a good hat. I but, wanted uh, to rant about stereo, but maybe I'll do that next week. Okay. Did you we get can... my email about I stereo? did get your email, and I was trying oh. to think of a way to introduce it, but I'm afraid I couldn't, couldn't find a way in. Oh, well, let's leave them hanging then, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Anyway, Ma- yeah. Mark Tinley, likebeing.com. Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. And everything you knew or thought you knew about stereo isn't true. Wow, there's a teaser for you. There's the cliffhanger. Rich Hilton over there, back from his travels with uh, Sheik and Nar Rogers. Uh, is that pretty much you done for the, the season, or are you kind of getting into the Christmas season now? Not nearly. We ah. have tons left. Wow. Tons left. We'll be back in about a month to Ireland, and then to Manchester, and then to Tokyo, and then to Dubai, and then to China, then to India, then to Australia. Just just a light a bit of light travel then for you, is it? Yeah. It's lazy musicians. <laughs> <laughs> so what did well, you think of Port Marion, Rich? Well, for the ten hours I was there it was gorgeous, other than the rain. It's it a really an idyllic place and uh I'd love to spend some more time there. It's a very long way away from here. Here you go, Mark. I've got my hat on as well, just in sort of in in, in a Solidarity, brother. Excellent. Can you do split screen now? No, I can't. I, that's something I can't do. Um, I'd have to spend another couple of grand, which I yeah, don't. Have to uh, buy a new switcher. Yeah, I would have to buy a new switcher, I mean, which I would like to. Get one for, you might get one for fifty pounds if you wait a, a couple of years, while one gets thrown in landfill by somebody who's moved on to the latest and greatest. It might. You might be right there, but in the meantime, I think I'll just stick with. Uh, <laughs> with what we have for the time being. But I may be able to figure it out. Anyway, that was Sonic Talk number uh, 330. Uh, thanks again for watching, uh, everybody. And I hope the HD has uh, has floated your boat as it has mine. Now I'm going to go over there and switch it off.